0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Podcast. I'm your host, Logan. Today is day number 52, and today we are going to be reading Leviticus chapter 24 and 25. Since it is day number 52, that means that we are one-seventh of the way through the year. Congratulations on making it this far. I look forward to going further with you. Let's pray as we get started today. Today's prayer is another by Puritan Philip Doddridge. It's called, From One Degree of Faith to the Next. And it can be found in the book, Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans, by Robert Elmer. Blessed God, I acknowledge before you my own weakness and insufficiency for anything that is spiritually good. I have experienced it a thousand times, and yet my foolish heart would again trust itself and resolve to move ahead in its own weakness. But let this be the first fruits of your gracious influence, to bring it to a humble distrust of itself and to rest in you. I rejoice, O oh Lord, in your assurance that you are ready to shower me with rich benefits. So because of your kind invitation, I boldly approach your throne to find grace for help in every time of need. I do not mean to turn your grace into a license for immorality or to make my weakness an excuse for negligence or laziness. You have already given me more strength than I have used. I want to be found diligent in the use of everything you supply. If not, any petition like this one would be a profane mockery and would probably provoke you to take away what I have, not impart more. But as I firmly resolve to exert myself, I ask for your grace to fulfill that resolution. Fill me with the right attitude toward you and my fellow creatures. Remind me always of your presence and that every secret of my soul is open to you. May I guard against the first sign of sin, and may Satan find no room for his evil suggestions. Fill my heart with your Holy Spirit, and take up your residence there. Dwell in me, walk with me, and let my body be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take me from one degree of faith, love, zeal, and holiness to the next until I appear perfect before you through Jesus Christ, my Lord. In him, I have righteousness and strength. Amen. All right, here we go with our reading for today from Leviticus chapter 24 and 25. I hope you're ready. Let's get started. Chapter 24 The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations." He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the word of the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed, and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 25 The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty, throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field." In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land." If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in the city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possessions among the people of Israel. But the fields of pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of the jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich, And your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you, or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself." He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, He shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a worker hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In chapter 24, we see an outline of the usage of the oil and bread in the holy place in addition to the incense that we saw before. These are the three pieces of furniture that are there in this room, the holy place. You know, the altar of incense stands right in front of the veil that leads to the most holy place, but on either side of the room are this lampstand that was kept burning and the golden table for the showbread. Now, oil was burned in the lampstand called a menorah, and these have seven branches. The ones that you'll sometimes see that have nine branches, they're not actually called a menorah, even though that's what a lot of people will call them. They're actually called a hanukia. These didn't come into existence until the intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, when we see the Maccabean Revolt. That's when the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication came about. And so, check it out. It's a great story, uh, but this menorah would have only had seven branches, as we see described earlier in Exodus, Now, this show bread as well plays into the story of David that we'll see later on, and Jesus will even reference it in the Gospels. And as we see here, this bread was not just for show. The priests would eat it all week long. It was brought in fresh every Sabbath, and the priests would eat it in the holy place throughout the week. It never went to waste, never left the holy place outside of the priest. In the next section of chapter 24, we see a story which is kind of rare for this book, and it's meant to drive home the importance of the name of God. It seems as though this man who blasphemed may not have been a worshiper of the Lord. Though he was born to an Israelite mother, his father was an Egyptian, and we really have no more information on him. But notice that it didn't matter whether you were an Israelite or someone passing through the country, it should be known to all that blaspheming the name of God is not to be tolerated. Blaspheming is a bit stronger than simply taking the Lord's name in vain. Though we don't know exactly what was said, we can infer that it was probably more than just an offhanded comment. Blasphemy includes a note of intentionality and disgust. We've mentioned the name of the Lord before, but I think it's worth mentioning again that God has a personal name. We can call lots of other idols and false deities gods, just like you can call me Mr. or Pastor. But if you call me Logan, you're showing a deeper connection by using my name, my proper name. The word God by itself is more of just a title. But our God has a name, Yahweh. This name is written in most of our English Bibles in all caps in order to show reverence. You see, this practice probably began sometime after this particular event. Observant Jews today are very careful not to use God's personal name to the point that we've even lost the original pronunciation. That's why you'll hear some pronounce the four-letter Hebrew word, the tetragrammaton, as Yahweh, and others will pronounce it as Jehovah. They're the same Hebrew consonants, but there were no written vowels at this time, and so we don't actually know how this word was pronounced. We generally see this name written as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, And it is substituting the Hebrew word Adonai, which can be confusing because, as I read, there's no way to distinguish between capital L-O-R-D and capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in an audio format. And so that's why I encourage you to read along as I read aloud, because this is a visual cue that you could miss if you're just listening. This is the proper name of God being stated every time there is a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And we see that the punishment for blasphemy is death by stoning. And we see that death carried out here at the end of chapter 24. However, I want you to see that God makes a difference between killing as a judicial punishment and murder Or manslaughter as a crime. Obviously, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not commit murder. Sometimes that's translated as thou shalt not kill. And if it was the case that killing another person, uh, even in judicial cases like this, was not allowed, then these death penalties would result in everybody being wiped out of the entire community the person that carried out that sentence would immediately need to be held accountable for killing another person there, that murder. And so eventually everyone would be killed except for the last person standing. So remember that these are words for God's judges. The death penalty isn't something that we just take into our own hands as a vendetta. It is reserved for the government to carry out. And this is a unique situation, as Israel is a nation, and also Israel is a religion. This was what we would call a theocracy. God was ruling the people, and judgments were being carried out by priests and by others designated as judges. Today, there are lots of debates about the death penalty, but I think the Bible is clear in saying that the government has the right to take life When crime has been committed. As we get into chapter 25, we see that God extends His Sabbath blessings on the land, as well as laying down some rules for the stewardship of property. Every seventh year would function as a reset button for the land. God wants His people to take care of the land in which they will soon live, and this also means that they need to trust that he will provide enough for them. They were not allowed in this year to undergo their normal planting process or to gather in bulk and take things to the market to sell, but each family was able to collect anything that sprung up naturally during this year for the use of their own household. Then, even more remarkably, after a week of Sabbath years or the 49th year, they would have an extraordinary year on the 50th year called the year of Jubilee. On this year, land ownership reverted back to the original holdings by family uh, when they entered the land of Canaan. Moreover, all Hebrews who were slaves were set free and all debts were forgiven. Money lending was clearly not a very lucrative occupation within Israel because according to these laws, you couldn't even charge interest on money loaned to fellow Hebrews. Add to that the forgiveness of debts every 50 years, and what's the point? Also, the value of property would change leading up to this 50th year. The closer you got, the less it was worth, because it reverted back to the original owner's the Canaan occupation, which by the way hasn't even happened yet. So in reality, in God's economy, you never really bought the property itself. It's God's land. These are God's people and they are servants of him. It's just the use of the property that you are buying until that 50th year, a lease on the property. This is the concept of stewardship taken to a beautiful place. Now you might be wondering, what did the Israelites do with all their extra free time since there was no planting or watering or weeding or harvesting to be done for these two years? Well, we have no clue. Because if this command was ever followed in Israel's history, we have no record of it. The observation of this law would mean the elimination of greed and an absolute trust in God. If it was followed, consider the implications. It would prevent the accumulation of land on the part of a few wealthy or powerful families or individuals. It would render it impossible for anyone to be born into absolute poverty since everyone had his or her hereditary land. And it would do away with Hebrew slavery because Hebrew slaves would be restored to the land that their forefathers inherited in the 50th year. And in the interim, Hebrews that were purchased as slaves were to be treated as hired hands, hired servants rather than slaves. And poor Israelites would get a fresh start on this 50th year. And so it's worth noting here That though the jubilee year and the Sabbath year might not have been carried out, the concept of redeeming the property that we see in the end of chapter 25, that a poor Hebrew was forced to sell this property and they could redeem it, uh, either a relative of them or themselves could redeem that property, that did become a common practice. This is the law that underlies the whole story of Ruth and Boaz which we'll get to in due time. You know, I have really enjoyed reading the book of Leviticus with you. If it has blessed you like it's blessed me, I bet that this wasn't what you were expecting from a book of law for the priests and judges. But we really should expect it because all God's word is life and truth. And no matter how many times I read it, I always come away with more because it reveals the inexhaustible God. Tomorrow, we will wrap up the book of Leviticus and we will be done with four whole books. So I look forward to having you join me then. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been encouraging to you. If so, please let me know by visiting the links that you find under the Connect With Us section in the show notes, I'm a simple man and I could use the encouragement. If you've been blessed enough that you would like to support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dbrpodcast to make either a one-time gift or to sign up for a monthly recurring membership gift. Until tomorrow, keep reading and keep worshiping.